Welcome back to Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries, Unity in Christ program. If this is your first time listening, my name is Christine Kim, and I'm the host of this program. Today I would like to share with everyone about a parable that has made me ponder since I was just a young child. It is the parable about the rich young ruler. I suppose you are all very familiar with this parable too. One day, as Jesus was walking out on a journey, a young man runs up to him, kneeling, asking him a question. He asks him, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? In response to this man's question, Jesus tells him to go and sell all of his possessions and give it to the poor and come and follow him. After Jesus says this to the young man, he says to his disciples, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Hearing this parable as a young child, it only baffled me. I thought to myself, Well, does this mean that all rich people are not able to go to heaven? Then does this also mean there are no rich people among Christians? Can only poor people go to heaven? I remember running these thoughts through my head as I sat there confused, wondering what the answers to my questions were. But as you can see, Jesus is not speaking of having many possessions. Let's read together the scriptures of Mark chapter 10. Here I will read to you verses 19 through 21. You know the commandments do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. We'll come back to share more after our first song. my heart and I am yours forever you are my strength God of grace and power and everything you hold in your hand still you make time for me I can't understand God of earth and sky
This young man was a Jew, and he also had a government standing which allowed him to be respected by many people. In addition to this, he was someone who very well lived by the law, and among all others, he was very rich. For the standards of the Jewish people, he was one who did not lack anything and someone who was an easy target to be envious of. However, Jesus tells this man that he lacks one thing. It says in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And after the scripture, he says something very important that we must not forget, which was, And come and follow me. I see two commands among Jesus' words to this man. One is go, and the other is come. But among these two commands, what was Jesus' ultimate command? It was his command that follows right after, which was, and follow me. Jesus' purpose for this young ruler was not for him to go and sell all of his possessions and give it to the poor, but for him to follow Jesus. Jesus knew that this young man loved his possessions more than he loved Jesus, and they were a barrier between him and Jesus, 
and commanded him to sell all of his possessions, because he knew if there was anything in the way of him and Jesus, he would not be able to follow him. But upon hearing Jesus' words, the young man was not able to do anything. Because he had so many possessions, he was saddened. The Bible tells us he went away grieving. I remember when I first heard this parable, I could not forget about this young ruler who just walked away in sadness. Perhaps we all have been in the same situation before. If I am not able to follow Jesus today, there is something between myself and Jesus that is holding me from going to Him. To someone, that may be their dream. And to another, it may be success. To some other people, it may be their possessions just like the young ruler in the parable. For others, it may be their own loving children. And to others, it may be their spouse. No matter what it took, the young ruler should have sold his possessions. Jesus is telling him that by him holding on to his possessions, not letting go of it will only make it more difficult for him to wholeheartedly follow Christ. I ask myself, as well as our listeners, what is it that we are holding on to that is preventing us from wholeheartedly following Christ? Is it our honor and glory, our dream, pride, the stability of our lives? Of course, all of these are very important. However, they will never be able to hold a value in our lives in place of Jesus Christ. There is nothing in this world that can be exchanged for our eternity. Jesus is still asking us today, What is it you love more than me? What is it that you rely on more than me? Conclusively, the young ruler was not able to sell his possessions and left Jesus. There will come a time for him to leave everything behind and follow Jesus. However, he turns away. He ran up to Jesus and knelt before him, asking what it would take for him to inherit eternal life. However, he was not able to hold on to Christ. Just as the young man walked away in sadness, I hope that we will not make the same decisions as there is nothing more valuable than Christ. Nothing good in me You are love, you are love On display for all to see You are light, you are light When the darkness closes in You are hope, you are hope You have covered all my sin You are peace, you are peace my fear is crippling You are true, you are true Even in my wandering You are joy, you are joy You're the reason that I sing You are life, you are life In you death has lost its sting And oh, I'm running to your arms I'm running to your arms The riches of your love Will always be enough Nothing compares To your embrace 
Jesus, Jesus, my heart will sing no other name, Jesus, Jesus, my heart will sing. Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is Give Thanks to God, Part 1, based on Psalm 136. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Mark. God in His Word encourages us to give Him thanks. David says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds. Among the peoples. He continues, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. David says again, In God we have boasted all day long, and we will give thanks to your name forever. There is a very ancient psalm of thanksgiving and blessing to God that I want us to read together. If you want to turn, please, to Psalm 136, we are going to do what ancient Israel did, and that is praise God with our voices. And so we want to lift them up. Psalm 136 is sort of an antiphonal kind of a praise session. I'll be the leader, and you respond with this chorus, and the chorus repeated 26 times is this. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Let's begin. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who alone does great wonders, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the heavens with skill, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who spreads out the earth above the waters, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the great lights, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The sun to rule by day, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The moon and the stars to rule by night, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who smote the Egyptians in their firstborn, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And brought Israel out from their midst, for his loving kindness with a strong...
strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, for his loving kindness is everlasting, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his loving kindness is everlasting. But he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who smote great kings, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And slew mighty kings, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his loving kindness is And Og, king of Bashan, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And gave their land as an heritage, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Even a heritage to Israel his servant, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Who remembered us in our low estate, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And has rescued us from our adversaries, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Who gives food to all flesh. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Now read all of verse 26, please, with me. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Let's all say amen. 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 Paul the Apostle tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 that we should rejoice always Pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. We're to thank God for every single thing and uh, not take anything for granted. I read the story about uh, a guy who was selling his dog. And the guy, this other guy, sees a sign in front of the house, talking dog for sale. He rings the doorbell and the owner tells him the dog is in the backyard and the guy goes into the backyard and sees a dog sitting there. You talk, he asks. Yup, the dog replies. So what's your story? The dog looks up and says, well, I discovered this gift pretty young and I wanted to help the government. So I talked to the CIA about my gift and in no time, they had me jetting from country to country, sitting in rooms with spies and world leaders because no one figured a dog would be eavesdropping. I was one of their most valuable spies. Eight years running. The jetting around really tired me out, and I knew I wasn't getting any younger, and I wanted to settle down. So I signed up for a job at the airport to do some undercover security work, mostly wandering near suspicious characters and listening in. I uncovered some incredible dealings here and there and was awarded a batch of medals, had a wife, mess of puppies, and now I've just retired. The guy's amazed, so he goes back in and he talks to the owner and asks the owner, what do you want for this dog? And the owner says, $10. The guy says, this dog is amazing. Why on earth are you selling him and so cheap? The owner replies, He's such a liar. He didn't do any of that stuff. <laughs> Not taking for granted certain things. You know, a lot of us look at life that way. We, we don't see the amazing gifts God have, has given us. We take that for granted and we complain. And we want to sell God short. We don't praise him for all that he's done. I want to give you a simple outline for giving thanks to God. First of all, write this down. 
This is how you can cultivate a life that is not just a life for you once a year on a day, say thank you, God, but all year long you're living a life that gives thanks to God. It's a life of thanks living, not just a life of thanksgiving. You're living the thanks. First of all, simply say, thank you, Lord, for all you've given me. The blessings we have from the Lord are innumerable. I mean, and in some ways, they're unfathomable. We can't really figure them all out. You can play a game sometimes and just have everything you see be something that ties to thanking God. You're, you're driving down the road and, boom, you know, there's one of our Arizona potholes in the road. And, and you're thanking God. Thank you, God, that I'm in a car. Thank you, Lord, that I, I, I'm on a road. You know, I could be in a country where there are dirt roads and not paved roads with potholes. Thank you, Lord, for all you've given to me. The blessings of God are so unfathomable. I'm, somebody has said, I'm thankful for the wife who says, it's hot dogs tonight because she's home with me and not with someone else. I'm thankful for the teenager who's complaining about doing dishes because that means she's at home and not on the streets. I'm thankful for the taxes that I pay because it means I am employed. Now that was stretching it, wasn't it? I'm thankful for the mess to clean up after a party because it means that I have been surrounded by friends. I'm thankful for clothes that fit a little too snug because it means I've had enough to eat. I'm thankful for a lawn that needs mowing, windows that need cleaning, and gutters that need fixing because it means I have a home. Thankful for all the complaining about the government that I hear because it means that we have freedom of speech. I'm thankful for the parking spot I find at the far end of the church parking lot because it means I'm capable of walking and that I've been blessed with transportation. A little bit of brainwashing going on right now. I'm thankful for the lady behind me in church that sings off key because it means that I can hear. I'm thankful for the pile of laundry and ironing because it means I have clothes to wear and for the weariness and aching muscles that I have at the end of the day because it means I have a job. And last of all, I'm thankful for the alarm that goes off in the early morning hours because it means that I'm alive. There's a French proverb that says, gratitude is the heart's memory. Gratitude is the way your heart remembers things. Now, a second way we give thanks to God is to say, you want to write this? Number two, thank you, God, for all you've taken away from me. For all you've taken away from me. Thank you, Lord, for all you've given me, number one. Thank you all for number two is what? For all you've taken away from me. Think about it. Through the saving life and death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, God has taken away all of our sins. He's taken that away from me. God's taken away all of our guilt. He's taken away all of our shame. He's taken away what I deserve and given me what Jesus Christ deserves instead. God isn't looking at me the way I should be looked at, but he's looking at me through eyes of love and grace. Now I have to say, thank you, Lord, for taking away that stuff, taking away my sin and my shame and my guilt, taking away the wrong things that I have done, 
taking away what I deserve. Thank you for giving me what I don't deserve. Behold how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, the Scripture says, that we should be called the children of God, and such we are. Thank you, Lord, that you have transferred me out of the old domain of darkness, and you have delivered me into the kingdom of your own dear Son. You've transferred me into Jesus Christ's kingdom. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you've broken sin's power. You've taken away the power of sin in our lives. And I don't live under the bondage of sin anymore. I'm not under the bondage of the law anymore. According to Romans 6, 7, and 8, we're free. We are free to serve God, and we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. God has taken away old habits and given us new ones. He's taken away our old love for sin. He's given us new loves for righteousness. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Thank you for taking away this stuff, Lord. As I mentioned last time, the Lord has evaporated our sins. You have taken away our sins. You have cast them into the depths of the sea, the prophet says, and will remember them no more. I mean, that's just wonderful news. And then we have to think, though, that there are some things that God has taken away that are a little more painful. There are some things that God has done in a subtraction process, an extraction process, that have been extremely painful. Maybe the Lord has taken away your self-reliance this past year. That can be a painful process. You may be a controlling type of person. Of course, you don't want to admit that, but you might be. And the Lord has taken away your self-reliance. Someone has said, the greatest of all disorders is to think we are whole and need no help. <laughs> hey, everybody is growing, and everybody needs help. Jacob learned the lesson of having self-reliance taken away from him in Genesis chapter 32. He was surprised when this, quote, man, unquote, which was really the Lord, the angel of the Lord, caught him and he started wrestling with him. Didn't even listen to him. Didn't even ask him, who are you? It was just an immediate fight. I know people like that. There's no talking to them. There's no, they just start fighting God right away. Maybe you're that kind of person. And you've been having it your way for years. You know, the interesting thing is that God wrestled for a while with Jacob. But God wasn't interested in that wrestling going on for much longer than it did. It went on all night long. Wrestling with the Almighty all night. And the sun is dawning. And Jacob's still wrestling. And the angel of the Lord is thinking, i got to get out of here. i got other things to do than wrestle with Jacob. The scripture says, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. I mean, this is amazing. He's not giving up. And God says, you know what? I am not wrestling with you any longer. 
this is over. This is not a matter of, let's see how many years of your life we can waste while you wrestle with me and ultimately lose. If you are wrestling with God, tell me who's going to win. Yes, rule number one in wrestling with God. We always lose. God is going to win. Now, if you don't like it, lump it, okay? This is just the way it is. You have to get used to some things on earth, and one of them is that you're not God. And so he wrestles all night. God touches him, and he learns. Now we see him later on. He learns to walk leaning on something. The Bible says for the rest of his life, he walked leaning on his staff because his hip had been dislocated or something had happened to him so that he never walked the same. You could tell by the man's walk that he'd been touched by God. Can people say that about you? Can people say because of what's happened to your life over the last year, by your walk, that God's touched your life? It doesn't mean that some disaster has to happen to you, but have you lost your self-reliance? I hope so. And now you're leaning on God. People say, I'm not going to lean on anything. Oh, give me a break. We used to sing this song. It was one of the great hymns. And it went like this. What a fellowship. What a joy divine. Leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness. What a peace is mine. Leaning on the everlasting arms. And the chorus went like this. Leaning Leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. There's nothing wrong with leaning on Jesus. And every step that you take, you take leaning on the Lord, trusting on the Lord, because you know what? We are all broken. We're all sort of dislocated, if you ask me. Some in different places, you know, but... We need the Lord's help. That's for sure. Henry Ward Beecher said, Pride slays thanksgiving, but a humble mind is the soil out of which thanks naturally grows. A proud person is seldom a grateful person. They never think they get as much as they deserve. When you learn the lesson of relying on the Lord, you become a thankful heart. Maybe God's taken away your independence. There's, there's an independent part of us that we, we accept the Lord and we say, oh, this is great. I want all the blessings. I want the Lord to take away my sin and my guilt and my shame. And I want the Lord to, but I also want to live over, you know, I want to be able on Saturday night to go to my parties and I want to be able to step into the, you know, I want to be able to have one foot in the world And, you know, I don't want to, I know, I know the Lord is right. I know the Lord's where I should be, but, you know, I don't want to become fanatical about this. Yeah. 
Listening to Unity in Christ, the English Hour in our broadcast program. Here at Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries, we strive to connect our listeners to engage with a community of believers as one body under Christ. Since 2000, we have dedicated our lives to make disciples of all nations through radio broadcasting. We are always encouraged to hear from you, so if you have any comments or testimonies that you would like to share, please feel free to email us at askhsgm at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Heart and Soul Podcast on iTunes for weekly sermons. To learn more, visit heartandsoul.org. There are people who gave up their lives in honor of Christ who gave us our everlasting life. Continued is a story of the many people who endured their life with faith, titled The Voice of the Martyrs. Hello everyone, this is Rhonda Walker with The Voice of the Martyrs. When you have exciting news, it's quite a challenge to stay quiet, especially if you hear the good news of the gospel You also owe the ones who haven't heard it yet, which makes it even harder to keep it to yourself. A person who possesses the good news cannot be silent. Jeremiah once said, But if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. Jeremiah 20, verse 9. Paul also confesses that, For if I preach the gospel, 
I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16. A person who owns the gospel must spread it, even if it threatens his or her own life, because the gospel is even more precious than the life in our bodies. Last week, we shared the story of Pastor Mehdi Dibaj, who was born Muslim but received salvation after accepting Jesus Christ and spreading the gospel until he was executed. When Pastor Dabaj was imprisoned and received his death sentence from the Iranian government, Pastor Haik Hovsepian was at the front to win Pastor Dabaj's release. Today, we share the story of Pastor Haik Hovsepian. Hello, my name is Joseph Hovsepian, the son of Pastor Hayek Hovsepian. My country, Iran, is officially an Islamic state, but there are a few Armenian and Assyrian churches. The Iranian government doesn't care too much about these churches. However, when these churches try to spread the gospel to their Muslim neighbors, the person in charge must leave the region. My father, Hayek Hovsepian, was one of the most recognized Christian pastors in Iran. He also served as the chairman of the Council of Protestant Ministers of Iran. The Iranian government always found my father disruptive to its Islamic society, but could not lay their hands on him because my father was famous worldwide. Christian leaders around the world suggested he seek asylum because leading a ministry under the Iranian government could cost him his life. However, my father stayed in Iran to spread the gospel to the Iranian people. My father recently heard that Pastor Mehdi Dabaj was given the death penalty after 10 years of imprisonment. The Iranian government tried to execute him in secret. However, the document ordering Pastor Dabaj's execution was leaked and the news soon reached my father, the head of the Protestant ministers. He began to lead a movement to overturn the decision which soon received international spotlight. He proclaimed that the suffering of a brother is the suffering of the entire church. My father's campaign to save Pastor Dubaj's life was broadcast worldwide, and this attention put pressure on the Iranian government. The Islamic extremists threatened my father, but it didn't affect my father's determination. The Islamic extremists then began to buy off my father's acquaintances. One day, his friend visited him and said, the Iranian government will not leave you alone if you continue. You must take care of your own life. My father replied, I am ready. He again asked, but what about your family? You won't think about your own family? Pastor Dabaj also has a family. If my life is important, so is his. The government could not change my father's mind. As the campaign for Pastor Dabaj became an international issue, the Iranian government was accused of abusing his human rights. The government finally released Pastor Dabaj, but the joy did not last long. The day after Pastor Dabaj's release, 
My father went missing on the streets of Tehran. A few days later, his body, stabbed multiple times with a dagger, was found in an Islamic graveyard. Even in the 21st century, in the world that we live in, so many people still suffer for Christ. I wish every Christian in the world would become aware of this fight. When his body was unearthed from the Islamic graveyard, they found that he had been stabbed in 20 different places. This marked the beginning of nationwide persecution of Protestant leaders in Iran. Pastor Debaj and five other church leaders were also assassinated. The Iranian government wanted to threaten Christians in the country to let them know that you would lose your life if you follow Jesus. Such intimidation, however, could not suppress Christians. One by one, hidden Christians in the country began to step forward, publicly announcing that they did not fear martyrdom. Instead of retreating, Christians chose to be bolder in their pursuit of Jesus Christ. Pastor Hovsepian left these words before he passed away. The reason they want to kill me is because I don't stay quiet. If Pastor Hovsepian stayed silent, he would not have died. But he chose not to because the very reason he was born in this world was to not stay quiet. The world is not worthy of those who cannot stay quiet for the good news. We now conclude this week's episode of The Voice of the Martyrs. Thank you for listening and God bless you.
the saint and for the sinner Enough for this whole wide world Your great grace Oh such grace Oftentimes, like to hold things in their hands, regardless of what it is, and will throw a fit if they are forced to let go of it. Sometimes children will get a hold of something sharp, and we get nervous that they might hurt themselves. But when we try to take it out of their hands, they cry and get upset. In a situation like this, we know what actions parents will take. Of course, they will take the sharp item out of the child's hand and replace it with a favorite toy the child enjoys. Once a child sees how attractive the toy is, how colorful it is with music, they will no longer have interest in what they were holding previously. Only someone who realizes how valuable and worthy our gift of salvation is will be able to let go of the other things they were gripping onto. Eventually, they will realize that there is nothing in our lives that we will be able to love more than Christ. God is still telling us this very moment to let go. He is commanding us to let go of whatever it may be that we love more than Him. And once we do, we will wholeheartedly be able to put our focus and attention to God and follow Him. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. These are the scriptures of Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. I pray that all of our listeners will be able to let go of all the unworthy things in our life that hold us back from following Christ. Up until this very moment, we may have thought just like the young ruler 
that we have everything we need, but I pray that we may truly realize there is nothing else needed in our lives other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We will now wrap up Unity in Christ. Thank you for listening, as it has been my pleasure. I hope to see you this time again next week, and God bless.